Shall we look to the Lord? Shall we ask him, Father, speak to me once more this year? Father, speak to us. Two thousand years ago, Lord, your servant said, Peter said, To whom shall we go? You alone have the words of life. The words of man has the power to entertain, to excite, to make one think, to depress, to discourage. But God alone has life. Your word alone is life. Tonight, once again, we have come for life. Life from above. I pray during the ministry of the word, life will be imparted into the inner man of everyone. Everyone will go. The touch of the living God. The living God. The God who speaks. The God who walks in the midst of his people. That we would have that strength, that courage to face this coming year. Knowing God is with us. Knowing God is going before us. Faithful God. Awesome God. Speak to us this evening. Speak to us Lord. We need to hear from you. And I pray faith will arise in every heart. That we will believe you. Believe, Lord. Because your word says the word of God has power to work in those who believe. All you expect from us is faith. Give us the power to believe. Thank you, Father. Speak to us, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Everything in the kingdom of God works in, by, and through faith. That's what God expects from us. We don't believe, nothing of God will work in us. But if we believe, God says there is nothing that is impossible. Both with God and with the person that believes. So here are we at the end of 2017. And one thing is certain. One thing is absolutely certain for everybody that we are all one year older. That's certain. Older. Most of you probably wouldn't know, but about King Lear, Shakespeare's, one of his critics would say that some people grow old, but very few people grow up. When people say, sometimes when people say, I have 50 years of experience, it is actually one year's experience 50 times over. When God is talking about growing, he's not talking about age. It's talking about growing in him. It's talking about maturity. So 2018, we will believe. And 2017, I believe everyone has grown a little more in the spirit, in the inner man. We had our hopes and our promises for 2017. I don't know how many of you believed and how many of you can testify it. It came to pass for me. For me personally, I know 
the year 2017, the promise we got, like, He has used me, rivers of living water flowing out more in the last year, especially to pastors than any other year before. So I know practically it came to be true. But the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. They're always true. In Christ, always true. In Joshua, at the end of the conquest of the promised land, this is what Joshua will tell the children of Israel in Joshua 23 and verse 14. Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. This is, I'm old, I'm I'm going to die. But I have to tell you something. You know in all your hearts and all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have to come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. His every promise he's telling this generation God made to you, it has come to pass. Every promise. It's never failed you. It's come to pass. But the promise or the promises he's talking about to this generation is exactly the same promises God made to the previous generation through Moses. The promises were not different. Both generations received the same promises. One through Moses, the other through Joshua. The only difference was one generation did not experience any of those promises. While the next generation experienced every one of the promises. So the difference was not with God. The difference was with the people. One generation did not believe. And they rebelled. And complained. And grumbled. Another generation Believed and fought and possessed the promised land. God is the same. His word is the same. His promises are the same. We believe, we obey, and we fight that good fight. They had to fight a physical battle. We need to fight a spiritual battle. They face physical enemies in the land of Canaan. We face spiritual enemies in our life. And God says, if you fight, every promise of mine will come to pass. That's what Paul will say at the end of his life. He says, I have fought the good fight. And the promise that God made to me, I see right before me the crown of righteousness. He says, not only to me, the same God promises everyone, you too can have the same crown if you and I believe and fight the good fight. So remember, 2017 we had promise for the church, individual promises. 2018 too, it's the same God who promises. The promises of God are there. Like I said, the battle are also there ahead. What, remember what God told them about choices. Choose life. God is your life. Years later, listen to what Joshua, I mean it's very powerful how this man, Joshua, will put it across to the people. But take careful. Careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. To do. To love the Lord your God. To walk in all his ways. To keep his commandments. To hold fast to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So that is words to Israel. 
He says, let your whole heart, he says, be involved in your relationship, in your servants with the living God. Your whole heart, he says. And that's what God is asking from us too. You see, when we make these choices which God gives, God says, I said before you, life and death, blessing and curses, choose. The thing is that 31st, like I said, all around the world, people will make choices. Resolution, New Year resolution, one of the most famous being losing weight. Okay, Exercising, many people will exercise. Many people will exercise, pray more, study, the, read the Bible more, lot of, lot of. But you know, the choices were all good. Nobody makes, I don't know, unless you are off your mind, nobody makes a decision, I am going to drink more next year. No, I'm going to smoke more. No, usually all these resolutions are, even the drunkard will say, okay, next year I want to quit. So the problem is everybody makes good choices. But here what he is saying is, how committed are we to our choices? How committed are we going to be the choices we are going to make next year? To choose is one thing. To be committed to that choice is another thing. How steadfast. That's what he's saying. You have to be careful. Carefully he to do. Not hear. Not listen. All good. Not to write notes. Excellent. But to do. To love the Lord your God. To walk in all his ways. To keep his commandments. To hold fast to him. How committed are we going to be? How committed? That's the first. It's not the choice that we make. But we make another choice. I'm going to be committed to these choices that I make. Paul will tell Timothy. In 2 Timothy, he will say, You therefore. He says, you know, when you make a choice, there is always hardship involved in it. Because that choice demands change. And change is always painful. It demands hard work. So he will always say, you must end your hardship. As a good soldier of Christ. And another thing he says is, if you want to remain committed to the choices you are making, don't get distracted. This generation struggles because there is too many distractions. Too many distractions. No one encased in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Don't lose focus. Be single-minded. Now can I have that PowerPoint? Yeah. Simple PowerPoint. Not anything flashy, but simple. Yeah. This year, ask God for focus. With that, you see, I grew up in a country where the national sport is not football or cricket, it's archery. So all the days of your youth, you saw people from the king downwards, everybody 
involved in this sport of archery. And then, as a child, that was one of my passions. You made your own bow and arrow and you played. If you know a target, if we know your target, have you seen a target? So before Sammy gets a target, you know what a target looks like? The target has a center. In English, we call it bullseye. Then it has concentric circles. There are other circles. Then there is outside. The key to success, either in the secular world or in the kingdom, is one thing, is focus. That's why God is saying, when you make your choices, first make correct choices. Be very focused on what your choices are going to be. Okay? Okay? Focus. You need to know what this is. If you go wrong here, you may be satisfied you hit here. But in the kingdom of God, it doesn't work like that. If you miss this, it will affect the rest of your life. In the normal world, it doesn't matter. A fellow who hits here is also happy. If he gets here, he's thrilled. This he knows is a rarity. But in the kingdom of God, it begins from here. This will define the rest of your priorities. It will define. An archer, his eye is on this. By the end of today, tonight, early tomorrow morning when we finish, you should make up your mind. What is this in your life? Sixteen times in the scripture, old and new, God uses the term one thing. One thing. Contextually, it differs in certain places. But one thing, that one thing will determine the rest. Okay. Parents are very good at that. They put that one thing into their children's mind. That's why Pastor Vijay was an engineer. One thing. And then he struggled after becoming an engineer because that one thing changed. This center changed and another thing came. One thing became God and ministry. One thing. You heard in the morning there was a man born blind. Jesus met him. And there was a very doctrinal question. Is he blind because of his father's sins or his grandparents' sins or his sins? Jesus said neither. This is for the glory of God. Jesus does a creative miracle over there. He spits into the mud. He mixes it, puts it in his eye. And then he tells him, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. He goes, he washes. He hadn't seen Jesus. He's seeing now, but the Pharisees are upset because he worked on Sabbath. And there is this question. They ask his parents, they said, we do not know, you ask him, he's big enough. But when he is asked the question, he doesn't know much doctrine. But he says, one thing I know. One thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. You should and I should know one thing. Do we see? Do we see? I'm just recapping, 
what we did in the morning. In Acts chapter 26, when Paul is commissioned by God and he is years later standing and giving his defense before the king, Agrippa, he says, this is what the Lord told me. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. That's the first thing. If this doesn't happen, we will walk in darkness and yet we'll think we walk in light. One thing is that our eyes need to be open right now. You see, we all have phones. Some have very high-tech phones, some have very simple, normal, basic phones. But you see, in all this phone, it might be iPhone X or the simple basic model, they give you a light. They give you a torch. Isn't it strange? Because everybody knows, if you're going to carry this with you, when you hit the darkness, you need light. You need light. That's what he's talking about. We are very aware of physical darkness and light. God says, are we aware of spiritual darkness and light? Are we? Until our eyes are open to that, we are not going to really experience the kingdom of God and God himself. So that one thing you and I need is, Lord, continuously open my eyes. To the darkness within me and to the light in you. That's what Jesus said. That's the first work of the Spirit of God. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict you of darkness. And He will show the righteousness or the light that is available in Jesus. The first work of the Spirit of God is an opening of eyes. And a continuous opening of eyes. Because he is light and he lives in unapproachable light. And to be able to approach him, we need increasing order of light. Otherwise, we'll never be able to comprehend or approach God. Therefore, the first one thing you and I need is an opening of our eyes. 2018, ask God, Lord, one thing I ask you, Lord, open my eyes, one, to the darkness in me, two, to the light available in you. They were all very upset. Remember on that day when Jesus healed that man? But it was a sign. All the miracles in the gospel of John are called a sign. And what did Jesus say in John 9? He said, he said, he didn't know. He came back to Jesus. He didn't know it was Jesus. He says, the man who healed me, Jesus said, I am the one who healed you. He said, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. It's very strange. This is what Jesus does. If you reject Jesus, you are blinded. You'll never see. If you accept Jesus, your eyes open. That's what he does. Nobody else does that. It's for one reason I have come. One of the reasons I have come. For judgment. The minute you say you see, you become blind. The minute you say, Lord, I don't see, he says, I will open your eyes. There's no other way. This was the sign. 
See the Pharisees, eyes were blinded. Religious people, eyes are blinded. Legalism blinds our eyes. Like blinds our eyes. In Corinthians, this is what God says. But their minds were blinded. We think we see with our eyes. We don't see with our eyes. We see with our minds. Old, not old, but much repeated. But it's good to hear old stories, illustrations, so that we understand. The guy from the mountains who came down to the city was walking with his friend. They're walking down the busy street. Let it be any street. Let's say street. I think it was New York. He was walking down the street. And then the guy who came from the mountain said, I hear the cricket, the grasshopper, that cricket. His friend said, there can't be no cricket here. It's a city. Look at the traffic. Look at the people. Look at the crowd. There's no cricket. He says, no. I heard the cricket. I heard the cricket. He says, where? There was a shop. And there were a few flower pots. He went, turned one leaf, and he picked and said, see, here it is. And his friend asked him, how did you hear? He says, I am in the mountains. In the mountains, in the silence, our ears are fine-tuned to sounds. He says, you know what? Everybody hears with their mind. He says, you think these people don't hear? They do hear. I will, he said, I will show you. He put his hand in his pocket and he had a bunch of coins. He just dropped the coins on the pavement and everybody walking on the street stopped and turned around because everything in their mind is about making money. It's about making money. So we don't see with our eyes or ear with our ears. We actually hear and see with our mind. So Jesus says, their eyes were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Because the veil is taken away in Christ. The Old Testament is the law. Every religion is the law. As long as you read the law and try to live by the law, your mind is blinded. It is removed only when Christ comes. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a whale lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the whale is taken away. It's no other way. It's no other way. That is why that one thing we need is, Lord, open my eyes. Let the whale be taken away. I just don't want to read because you can read this all your life and yet never know God unless the whale is taken away. Because we serve a living God. God who speaks, who walks with his people. That's what all we are all singing. But it has to be a reality, has to be an experience and not just doctrine. Because doctrinally the Pharisees were excellent but their eyes were closed. When the very Son of God, the Word Himself stood before them, they could not see Him or recognize Him. Because eyes were blinded. And God says that one thing that man said, I was blind, but now I see. Continue seeing our sight. Usually what happens is, this is a reversal in the spiritual kingdom. In the physical kingdom, as I grow older, 
my sight gets weaker and weaker and every time you go the ophthalmologist says a little more power a little more and when he says this year is the same i'm very happy okay our eyesight gets weaker and weaker and weaker in the spiritual kingdom it's the other way your sight increases better and better and better and better if you're walking with god you know it by now listen to jacob in his last days he says i see i see i see what his children couldn't see he was able to see and he's able to see into the distant future where things he saw 4000 5000 years ago is still coming to pass he says i see that is what it is talking about the veil is taken away and continuously you see clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer Apostle Paul at the end of his life he says my departure is near. He sees his death as a departure and says my Lord is waiting for me on the other side with my crown. Peter says I'm putting away this tabernacle. Putting away this tent. Clear. Elisha's servant is frightened by the massive armies that are surrounding Elisha is not bothered. He says not open his eyes. This dude is scared. Open his eyes. He need to realize One thing I'll need oh lord that father as we age everybody is aging one year older in another hour one year older lord has my vision increased as my spiritual vision become better am i able to see better your kingdom because jesus said the first sight of born again is when you are born again you will see perceive understand the kingdom do i see the kingdom better That's the difference between truth and the law, between grace and the law. Second thing, Jesus visited Bethany because he loved going to that family. Two sisters and a brother. We know that. I believe you all know that. Jesus in that house, the two sisters, the brother is sitting with him, and Mary is sitting at his feet, and she is listening to him. Martha is busy working in the kitchen and the more she works the more irritable she is becoming she is cooking for the lord and she is cooking for his disciples and she is getting irritable lord of people get irritable in ministry very irritable in they are serving god and they are most irritable people and they get upset with those who are still And she complains to Jesus. She comes and complains to Jesus. Lord, why don't you tell my sister to help me? This is what Jesus says in Luke 10. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about, but one thing, one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part. One thing, Martha, everything that you do is good, but you've lost your focus. You're hitting the target, but you're not hitting the bullseye. Because you have missed the bullseye in the spiritual kingdom, everything else is upsetting you. When you should be the most happy to say, "Wow, the Lord came to my house; His disciples are here. Let me cook and let me." You're upset. Yeah. 
All of eternity she should be able to say, I have cooked for Jesus many times. No, she's upset. Why? Because you lost your focus. One thing is needed. One thing. And Mary has chosen that good part. Don't lose focus. Worrying and working. Worried and troubled about many things. See, we always think, what we don't realize is, we always talk about, oh, Mary was just sitting at his feet. I also want to sit at his feet. I just want to be a Mary. And even my wife prayed before we came. She said, Lord, help me to be like a Mary and sit at your feet. Thank you. I love it. Because that's what I tell her. Sit down. But we forget something about Mary. You know what Luke says? Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching, bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God and twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. And who is the first mentioned? Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. You do see the difference? Wherever Jesus went, Mary followed and she served him. Martha served Jesus only when Jesus visited her home. Mary served Jesus wherever we went because she also found the time to sit at his feet. That's what 2018 should be. Wherever he takes you, you continue to serve him because you have learned to sit at his feet. She served actually more than Martha did. Because she had learned to sit at his feet. And because she sat at his feet, he opened her eyes. He opened her eyes in ways which he didn't open for anybody else. Nobody, not even Peter, James and John, the special group of the twelve. These three were the special disciples where he took to the Mount of Transfiguration, raising of Jairus' daughter, they were allowed only into the inner chamber. But even there, eyes were not open as Mary's was. If you want our eyes to be open, then one thing, he says, one thing. Learn in 2018 to sit and to serve. Seven days or eight days before his death, it was Mary alone the Spirit could speak and say, take that alabaster oil and anoint my son, prepare him for burial. The ones who walked in with him for three and a half years and heard his preaching and did ministry and power ministry in his name, even they said, what a waste of money. Because they were not able to see what was the meaning of it. But she saw. When everybody ran away, when his body was taken down by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, and when it was being it put into that tomb, Scripture says, Mary was on the other side watching exactly which tomb he is in because she was planning to come after Sabbath to anoint his body. She was there. On Resurrection Sunday morning, she was the first one there. She went and told. Peter and John ran. John ran before Peter. John stood, looked from outside. Peter came, went inside. Then they both went back. She refused to leave. Because that one thing, he said, will not be taken away from those who have learned to sit at his feet and also serve him. That one thing will not be taken away. Their eyes will be opened like unlike others. 
So 2018, say, Lord, I want to serve you. But I will not serve you at the cost of sitting at your feet. And I will not just sit at your feet and not serve you. I will sit at your feet and I will serve you. And open my eyes, O oh Lord, that how much more can I serve you? I'm here. She has one person who served him in life, in death, and in resurrection. God says, who was she? Simple girl in whom there was seven demons. Demon possessed. But she knew what darkness was. Therefore, when her eyes were opened, she also knew the power of light and appreciated it. She was somebody who knew what it was to come from darkness into light. So don't let your worry and your works make you lose focus. One thing. That one thing begins at his feet. Every work of God, remember this. Difference between the work of man and the work of God begins from rest. Doesn't begin from labor. The book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says this, For he who has entered his, that is God's rest, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter what? Rest. First rest, then work. Diligent to enter into his rest first. Not work. Everybody wants to work. God says, no, that's not my order. He says, do you know, do you know my order? I created on the first day. I created on the second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. Did I create man in any of those days? He says, no, I didn't need his help. I created him in the last part of creation on the sixth day and then I rested. On the seventh day, God, the seventh day was man's first day. Man entered into God's rest and then God says, you work. Man didn't begin work. He entered into God's rest. And then he began his work. Because he entered into God's rest, God told him exactly what you need to do. That's what scripture says. We should be diligent to enter into God's rest. Mary was diligent to enter into God's rest. So she knew. What was the work she was supposed to do? And in that work, there is no struggle. There is hard labor, but there is no struggle. There is no struggle. Martha is also serving God, but enormous worry and struggle. But when you are serving God, there is hard work, there is perspiration, there is tiredness. Jesus was so tired that in the storm also he slept, but there is peace. There is stillness. Because you have understood what is that one thing that God needs from us. Third example in the Bible. One day Jesus was walking along the road. A rich, young ruler comes, falls at his feet and says, Lord, what should I do for eternal life? Jesus said, keep the law. Keep the commandments. He said, I have kept them from my youth. Jesus looked at him with love. Like, honestly, if I find a straightforward young person, I too will look at him with love. I was waiting for somebody like you. <laughs> because every young one who comes is always telling you about how many times they have fallen. This young man is saying, I have stood. And God says, good. He loved him. 
Then he told him one thing in Mark 10 and verse 21. Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Now that's not how we look, right? We think if we don't have money, we lack. God says, because you have money, you lack. I love it. This, I love it. He said, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor. Today's pastor would say, put it in the offering box. He said, no, I don't want it. One thing, one thing you lack. Love of money, he's telling him, has blinded you. Love of money has blinded you. You're not able to see. You're not able to see. It's blinded you. It's holding you bondage. You want eternal life. You want to walk with me. You want to experience God. But money has bound you. You cannot serve God and mammon. He didn't tell everybody to sell their possessions. He didn't. But he told some people. Because he looked at them and he knew who was bound by money and who was not bound by money. Those who are bound by money, he said, there's no other way. <laughs> you cannot. It's bound. Don't let money blind you in 2018. Either the love of money or the fear of provision. Fear blinds people to the presence of God. The psalmist David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. He's really walking in a place. In another place, in his personal testimony, he will say, death was two steps behind me, my life. I was just two steps ahead of death because Saul is after me. But in the psalm he says, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because I can experience your presence there. The fear of provision and the love of money, they are, these are two opposites. They blind us to the presence of God in our life. Worry blinds us. Fear blinds us. Unbelief blinds us. Scripture says on the road to Emmaus, Jesus had risen and his two disciples are going from Jerusalem to Emmaus and he is walking with them Explaining scripture to them. But scripture says their eyes were restrained from recognizing him. And they're worried. They're downcast. When we are worried, and when we are downcast, when we are afraid, and we are hanging on to something else, even when Jesus is right with us and walking with us, we are blinded to his presence. That one thing. One thing. Don't let anything blind you. Don't have idols in your life. Whether it's your spouse or your child. Your hobby, studies, career, doesn't matter what it is. It will blind you to the presence of God. The richest man of his generation, Abraham, who experienced God in so many ways in his life. To the point God had actually come to his tent and supped with him. But there is one experience left for him. One experience of God that only happened on Mount Moriah. 
Three days journey away from everything he had. When he took that son and bound him on the altar and lifted his knife, God says, stay your hand. Don't kill your son. The altar is ready. The firewood is ready. The fire is ready. The knife is ready. There is no animal. He is in a position where he can offer God nothing. Then he sees a ram caught in the bush. That's when he sees Jehovah Jireh. That's when he realizes God is my provision. He is my provider. All idols has been broken. There's nothing left in his life. Everything has been broken. And his eyes are open. You know what? I thought I was giving my son to God. I didn't realize God is giving his son to me. Blocks and blinds our eyes from experience God at different levels. And God is telling us in 2018, don't hold anything back from Him because He held nothing back from us. Nothing back from us. Really want to experience God? Take your hands off. Take your hands off and say, Lord, it's there on the altar. I will not fear. Zacchaeus was blinded by the love of money. To the point a Jew was willing to betray his own community, align with the Romans and tax his own people and I was willing to face their anger and hatred for money. Until Jesus came to Jericho. When Jesus came to Jericho, he was desperate. So desperate. But the crowd was blocking his view. There was only one option left for him. One thing was left. You want to see Jesus? Humble yourself. Climb the tree. And he humbled himself and climbed. So often have quoted this. Chief income tax collectors don't climb trees. They make us climb trees. But here you have written in scripture. The chief tax collector of Jericho is sitting at the top of the tree. And Jesus stops and he sees him alone. I love that. I, I, I don't get tired telling people a thousand times in a thousand meetings the same thing. He stops in the crowd. He looks at one man and he knows him by name and he says, come down. I'm coming to your house. He said, we are a crowd here. I don't know all your names. He knows everybody's name and he knows the ones who have come by faith to meet him. He knows you by name. He knows your address. He knows your street. He knows your house number. Ananias, arise, go to Damascus, go to the street called Street, go to that house. In that, there is a man called Saul from Tarsus. Absolutely. His GPS never goes wrong. He knows us by name. He knows where we live. He knows if there is another one of the same name so that the messenger doesn't make a mistake. Cornelius, send a man to Joppa. In Joppa, there is a house by the beach. The house is of Simon the Tanner. In that house, there is another Simon who is Siphas. Call him. You get the Tanner, you may get a beating. You call Peter, you will get the gospel. Absolutely clear. There's no, as we sang, there is no shadow of turning with thee. It's we who are confused. There's no confusion with God. It's absolute clarity. 2018, say, Lord, I want that clarity in my life. 
Because I see from scripture, you speak so clearly. So clearly. Zacchaeus is there. Come down. Zacchaeus is thrilled. Scripture says Jesus went to his house. While the lunch is, dinner is going on, Zacchaeus stands up. What does he say? Half my wealth I give to the poor. And from whoever I have taken, I give four times over. What did Jesus say? Iski Salvation has come into his life. What is salvation? An opening of eyes and a moving from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. Salvation has come. Because money blinded him so far, now his eyes are opened. God says, one thing, one thing you lack, one thing. You think you have, you don't have, you lack. What you have is blocking you from true riches. Every place I tell this to pastors, every city, town, every pastor's conference this year in India abroad, I told them. Even to the pastors who were in jail, I told them. I said, be warned. Especially if you've been in jail for Christ. Because what happened, I said, I've seen in my life, pastors who went to jail, when they came out, the TV cameras and from CBN and all these news channels come in because they glorify persecution. And then before you know, people start giving you support. And two years later, when I meet you, you've gone down the road because you're taking support from 10 different organizations without letting them know. Now, what have you become? After being in the prison for the name of the Lord, you become a crook. Watch out. Money will blind you. Love of money will blind you to true riches. God says, if you are not faithful with unrighteous mammon, he calls mammon unrighteous. He says, how can I give you true riches? True riches. I tell everywhere to pastors, you know why you struggle with this? You struggle with this. You struggle to get a word from the Lord for every meeting is because you are unfaithful with money. Be faithful with money and see how we'll open this up for you. Because these are two currencies. In the world, money is the currency. In the kingdom, faith is the currency. If you're unfaithful with this, this is blocked. People don't realize in their wallets, they carry stuff that can either open the eyes or blind the eyes. God says, one thing, one thing. Zacchaeus' eyes are opened. If we live in the temporal, we all have to live in the temporal too because God has gave us this body so we feel a lot of stuff in the body. But if you live only in the temporal, we warn you, our eyes will be shut to the eternal. Don't live in the temporal. Live in the eternal and then understand the temporal. Both with Noah's generation and Lord's generation. There's two generations who were judged by God in the Old Testament. Judgment as a symbol of the final judgment that is coming. Because their eyes were only on the temporal. There's nothing per se wrong if you look at the list of things they did. They were all good. Which are needed. If you look at it, in the gospel according to Luke, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man, when Jesus comes for judgment. They ate. Is there anything wrong with eating, unless it's overeating? 
they drank. Everybody eats. Everybody, all of us ate. All of us drink. They married wives. Nothing wrong with that. Today, of course, they marry men and all kind of crazy stuff happen. They married wives. They were given a marriage. Until that day, Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Meaning life was normal until the last moment. And if you look at the list, there is nothing wrong. Scripture. Some of them must have overeaten, some of them have been drunk, some of them have married many. We don't know. But that's not what the list says. list says what they did were normal things. But they were caught in the temporal that their eyes were blinded to the eternal. And then flood came. Boom. All gone. Next one. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire, brimstone from heaven and destroyed them. All Normal life. This is what we all do. We eat, we drink, we think about our children's education, their career, marrying them off, giving them in marriage, proposals, all things are good. But, if your eye is only on the temporal, you will miss out on the eternal. Be careful. There's nothing wrong in any one of this. But if that is our focus, remember the target? That is the center of our life. We will miss the eternal. The eternal, when you come to the target, the eternal is the center. What is the center? It is God. I have to please God. Hebrews 11.6, what does scripture say? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So that is the center. I have to please God. Everything takes its meaning from that. I have to please God. Are you getting the picture? Let me put you so that you understand how you look at one thing I am taking from that list. Eating, drinking, then marriage. Because a lot of young people, immediately marriage. Okay, That's, That is what? Okay, marriage. Okay, we'll ch- take that one item out. And let's what say what scripture says. So that focus is God, center, next is marriage. When that happens, how do you look at marriage? Let's look at First Corinthians 7.32 I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affair, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his. He says, there's nothing wrong in marriage. Absolutely nothing wrong in marriage. But, what is the focus? Want to please God? Or please your wife? If your focus is right, then I will give you a wife who will never stop you from pleasing me. But if your focus is this, I want to please, I want to get married, I want to get married, he says, you'll get a wife. I'll give you a wife. And she will be a knife. <laughs> Did you get it? Same thing he tells the woman also, just not a man. And his interests are divided. Interests are divided. You cannot have a marriage where your interests are divided. Cannot. You end up in eternity having not pleased God who saved you and called you into eternity. It's not that you are not saved, but you realize 
He's got nothing to say about me. When he should have told, well done, my good and faithful servant. Nothing to say. Why? Because his interest got divided because he lost focus. A married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, in an undivided devotion to the Lord. So he says, get your focus right. He's not saying get married or don't get married. That's not what he's saying. He says, get your focus right. Don't ignore the eternal, the spiritual for the temporal. Don't. This is how Peter will say. Don't forget this one thing. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. Do not forget this one thing. What is that? That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is like one year. Don't forget this one thing. One day, one wrong decision. You will rue for a thousand years when Jesus comes to reign and see you are not part of it. One day is like a thousand years. A thousand years can be like one day. Thousand years can be like one day. If your entire focus is pleasing on God, a thousand years can be like. Where did you hear that last? Jacob. He slaved for Rachel fourteen years, and Scripture says because of his great love for her, it was like a few days for him. And God says, if your focus is right, a thousand years will be like one day. So it's not enough, Lord. Eternity. I need eternity. A thousand years with you is not enough. Just don't forget what eternity is. Because time is meaningless in eternity. Even as you and I are called to live in the temporal, never take your eyes off the eternal. One thing in 2018, if you didn't do it in 2017, one thing in 2018, redeem the time. One thing about the temporal is this. You all, we all have only 24 hours. Nobody gets. Mr. Modi doesn't get 25. You and I don't get 23. All gets 24. And what does God say? Redeeming the time. Because the days are. Redeem the time. You have to redeem. What does redemption mean? Redemption means you Give something and take something back. You have to prioritize your time. Focus in 2018. This is my day and I'm going to change my day around. I'm going to put God in the center. This thing, not needed. It's a waste of time. This, waste of time. Most of it is talk, 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 talk. No, waste of time. This TV, no, waste of time. Lord, our fellowship is not fellowship, it is usually gossip. Bible has put very clear guidelines about what fellowship is. He says, talk to each other with psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, encouraging with you. That is fellowship, that men do. Our men do. When we gather, you find out when we men gather, the only thing we talk is scripture. We don't talk anything else. We talk shopping and clothes and cooking. We don't. The only thing they want to know and hear is scripture. That's profitable. 
Redeem the time because the days are evil. 2018, say, Lord, I'm going to redeem my time. I want to maximize certain things and minimize certain things. Cut out sleep. Eternity, you're not going to sleep. Why waste sleeping on earth? It's not so much needed. Charles Wesley and John Wesley and 80, 85 years old, if they slept half an hour extra, they rude that day. Lord, I stole time from you. I wasted my time at 85. Colossians 4.5 Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Redeeming the... We like walking with those who are outside. Because we know how to talk their language very well when we leave the church. God says be very careful. Because that is waste of time. In your offices, all you young people, there are a lot of people who are outside. God says be very careful. Losing your time. Wasting your time. Don't waste your time. Days are evil. Then the people, those who are outside, don't waste your time. Focus, focus, focus. Then in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, this is what Paul says. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. One thing. That one thing we all need to do. What is that one thing? Forgetting those things that are behind. Forgetting those things. 2017, both the failures and the successes. Both the failures and the successes. Leave it behind. The only way you can leave your failures is by going before God. And repenting. The only thing that can take that memory away is the blood of Jesus. Nothing can erase it off. You want to really forget? You need to apply the blood. Forgetting your failures. Go before him honestly. Put it right with him. Let the blood apply and it's gone. Then don't remember it. Victories, be very careful. People get depressed by their defeats and complacent by their victories. And all the mighty men in the Bible were not defeated by their defeats. They were defeated by their victories. Noah was defeated in in victory. A man who could build an ark, stand there alone in an entire generation, preach the righteousness of God, build it by faith, never having seen rain or dew or flood. Never seeing rain. It's all due, but no rain, no flood, but built by faith, saved his whole family, stood there through it all, then comes out, gets drunk, lies naked, curses a generation. That's his end. He was defeated by his victory because he became complacent. Isaac became complacent in his victory. Abraham became complacent in his victory. David became complacent after all his victories. Be very careful. Forgetting the things.
That's what Paul will say. If I boast, I'll boast about Christ. I'll not boast about myself. Those are not my victories. Those are his victories. My defeats, I've forgotten it. I've put it under the blood. I'm living behind and I'm moving on. One thing I do. Put aside your defeats. Put aside your victories. And then we are running for our price. You don't have a focus. What are we running for? In the world, we all have aims and objectives. What are you running for? Some people have this eating to live, living to eat. That's not our objective. But what are we running for? I mean, salvation is free. What are we running for? Do we know what the price is? Now, Indian culture, we all know the price. It's very easy to understand through Indian culture. You read the Ramana and the Mahabharata and culture, you know. When the king wants to get married, that is what is called the Swayamvara. All the brides, all prospective ones, in their dressed up in their fineries, all standing, hoping the king will lay his eyes on me. Which one will he garland? That's the price we are running for. The prince is coming for a bride. He's coming for a bride. The price is he himself. Price is not a mansion in heaven. Not streets of gold. That's what everybody will get. The price is he himself. And God says, one thing. I count myself to have apprehended. One thing I do, forgetting. Why? I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. How do you know? How do you know? It's a real spiritual experience. And you learn from Old Testament. It's time for Elijah to go. Time has come. And he's moving from town to town. Every town he tells Elisha, leave me. Go. You can stay here. Elisha says, no. As long as the Lord lives and my Lord lives, I am not leaving you. He says, okay, next town. Leave. He says, no, I am following you. Every place, if you notice, there are prophets and sons of prophet. And they all have a prophetic gift. They see, your Lord is being taken today. He says, I know. Finally, when they come to Jericho and to Jordan, 50 of them come out and they say, do you know that your Lord is going today? He says, I know. They stand far. They don't get close to Elijah. They come to River Jordan. He takes his mantle, hits River Jordan. River Jordan splits. He crosses over. Elisha crosses over. Then the river closes. Once the river closes and they both are alone, he asks Elisha, okay, you followed me thus far. What do you want? What do you want? He says, I want a double portion of your anointing. He says, that's, you have asked for a difficult thing because he's not the baptizer. You ask for a difficult thing. But I will tell you the method by which you can get it. I will tell you, I will give you a clue whether you can get it or not. I am going. And I alone know how I am going. I don't know whether you will see or not. No one else will see how I am going. If you see, you will receive. Fifty other prophets were watching from far. The chariots of fire came and separated Elijah and Elisha. They did not see. 
he saw. He saw. That's what I said. When you are pressing for the price, each succeeding year, you will see better and clearer and clearer and clearer. You will understand your Lord and our Master better and better and better. That's how you know. That's how we run for this price. This is the price of eternity. There's nothing compared to this price. Because God is just not saving us. He's also encouraging all His children run for this price. That's how we encourage our kids. Run, run, run. Study well, study well, study well. You know what cutoff is? You want to get into this college? Colleges matter. Not just your grades. The college you study itself matters. Because some companies will only go to those colleges. But you get into those colleges, this is the cutoff. God says, entry into heaven, free. For my son, cut off. I'm not kidding. You read scripture. Because everybody is thinking that Christ is coming for everybody. He's not. He's coming for a bride. And that's a race, he says, anybody can run. Only thing, don't lose focus. That one thing, he says, he says, what makes you lose focus is the temporal. Don't get blinded. Don't get blinded. Don't hold on to little grievances and unforgiveness and resentments and bitterness. You hold on to it and it gets stronger and stronger and stronger and your eyes get more and more and more clouded. Clouded. Be very careful. The Bible is full of stories like that. Incredible stories. Where you can have incredible wisdom. Incredible wisdom of God. Incredible wisdom. Incredible intellect. Yet be absolutely blinded to the darkness in you. Absolutely. Scripture says of Ahitophel that when he gave counsel, it was like God speaking. He stood there before David, gave him counsel, gave him counsel, gave him counsel. But in his heart, if you saw, that man was dark and angry and bitter at David. Because he was Bethsaba's grandfather. Bethsaba had forgiven. The whole world had forgiven. God had forgiven. Ahitophel hadn't forgiven. He was waiting and bidding his moment. And then when Absalom took the throne, his moment came. He switched over immediately to Absalom. And he said, I am with you. As soon as David heard, Ahitophel has gone over to that side, he panicked because he knew the counsel of that man. He knew he was brilliant. And he gave godly, he had the wisdom of God. But you see, the heart is revealed. All this day he walked like this righteous, godly man. The minute David is off the throne, his heart is revealed. He's the one who tells Absalom, Absalom, you want to secure the throne, I will tell you. Go to the rooftop, pitch a tent. Pitch a tent. Get ten of your father's concubines. Sleep with them in open. You know why? That's his revenge. He would have, I, I tell you, this is how he would have said, he would have told him, no, 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 that's not where you need to pitch. You need to pitch it here. Why? Pitch it here. Pitch here, here, here. Why? Because from here I can see my daughter's house. She must have been bathing there. This fellow must have stood here. Exactly humiliate him here. How many years he carried that in his heart? That's what bitterness does. That's why the Bible says, beware of the root of bitterness by which many have missed the grace of God. One simple prayer of David. David, Lord, turn the counsel of 
act of to foolishness. God said, done. No problem. Absalom is given counsel by Ahitophel and the others. He doesn't listen to Ahitophel. It is God. If he had listened to Ahitophel, David would have died. God intervened. He didn't listen. You know what Ahitophel did? He went home. He went home. He's an incredibly disciplined man. He went home. Scripture says he put everything in order. See, discipline doesn't change. It's a part of your life. Put everything in order. Then he hanged himself. See, all these are outward things which may conceal the darkness of our heart from man, but not from God. Our wisdom, our counsel, the order and the discipline of God, all that is good with God. Without God, it will still take you to hell. That's what God is talking about. One thing, be careful about priorities in life. Our focus should be God. The center of it all should be God. He holds our life together. It is He who decides who is successful and who is a failure. Not the world, not you yourself or me myself. It is He who will grade us ultimately. Put God in the center. So learn to find that one thing in each context you are struggling with. Let me give you an example. Can I have the target over there once again? Now we are looking in one context so that you learn how to focus. You see this? Now, this, we are talking about marriage. Talking about marriage. Marriage has a center and it has concentric circles. The Bible talks about marriage in different contexts. I'm just giving you a few examples to tell you. How do you look at marriage? In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, scripture says, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. So what is God saying? God saying is that sex and sexual fulfillment is part and parcel of a marriage. Okay? What is that? It's an integral part of marriage. Now we go back to the target. Shall we have? For many people, sex is the center of marriage. When that starts losing its appeal, they change partners. That's only one of the items. That's not the center. That's not the center. That's how you focus. I'm looking at issue after issue, only this issue today. Because so many young people wanting to get married. Second, Malachi. 2.15. Now, did he not make them one? That's talking about marriage, God. Having a remnant of the spirit. Why one? He seeks godly offspring. Now, go back to the target. One of the reasons where God instituted marriage is children. But if children is the center of your marriage, they will destroy you. They'll break your heart. They'll break your heart. It is not the center. It's not the center. So what is the center of marriage? After God. What is the center of marriage? Look at the scripture. Look at what God says. Genesis 2.18 And the Lord said it is not good that man should be. 
Fellowship is the center of marriage. What is center of marriage? Go back to the target. You know why marriages fail? Because husbands and wives don't communicate. Not because they don't have children. Not because they don't have sex. Because they don't communicate. That is primarily the reason why gods do not be unequally yoked with. Why? You can't fellowship. You, of course you can have sex with them. Of course you can have children with them. Why you can't have sex with unbelievers? If your wife is unbelieving, you can't have sex? Of course. You can have child with her? Yes. But can you fellowship? There is a limit. And the center of marriage is fellowship. And if you know your focus, how God has ordained each thing, you will realize, you know what, this is the problem. This is the problem. Center of marriage is what? Because that's how God created us. He created us so that he could fellowship with us. It is based on this. The first command of marriage is given. For this purpose, man shall leave his father and mother and cleave and become one with his. For what? To fellowship. It is through fellowship two people become one. If you don't fellowship and you don't reach that unity in Christ, then even though you are one, yet you are two. Two. And you look into any marriage, any marriage that fails, you will see at the center of it is a breakdown of fellowship. Breakdown of fellowship. You look into any relationship with God that has broken, you will see the center of it is a breakdown of fellowship. That's that. Simple. Like I said, all these great men in the Bible got complacent about the relationship God after their victory, so they took fellowship lightly. Understand, married people sitting here, Everything else should arise from. You have this incredible godly fellowship with one another, the centered, and you communicate, and you are bringing more and more and more of one soul, one mind. Even if you have no children, your marriage is stable. Even if your children are rebels, your marriage is stable. Even if you grow old and there is no sex in your marriage, your marriage is incredibly stable because it's built built on how God has said it should be built. But if this is not there, everything starts getting affected. Don't lose focus. Because a lot of young ones, Raj is looking, where is Apu? <laughs> the young married ones, Roshan, Tavita, all ones, a lot of young couples sitting over here. Okay, Fellowship. Talk, talk, listen, listen. Don't talk at the same time. Listen. (laughs) Talk to each other. Don't talk at each other. Talk and listen. And wives, I'm not saying this because I'm a male. It's a simple principle in the kingdom. Wives learn to listen. Because that's how the kingdom works. When the father speaks, Jesus listens. That's how headship works. I'm not saying the one other one should not talk. 
But the listening is always given to the one in God's hierarchy who is lower. Lower. Scripture says lower in the sense, not in quality or anything. In He says he's a weaker vessel. Accept that. Doesn't matter how strong you may feel. Scripture says you're weak. Why the weaker vessel has to listen is because weaker vessels should not end up making decisions. If you have a steel glass and a seesucker glass in your house and the seesucker glass makes all the decisions, you'll have lots of broken pieces around. Now that doesn't automatically give you the right that I make all the decisions. I'm not talking about that. But understand these things. Listen. Quick to listen. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Because you see, after the fall, the marriage has been trapped. Jesus told Adam and Eve in the garden, your marriage is under a trap. It won't be complimentary anymore. It will be a struggle for control. Know what he said? Genesis 2, before he sent them out of the garden, connected with marriage. Chapter 3 and verse 16. I didn't give it to you, but you can give. John, John, not John 3.16, okay? That's a very comforting verse. Genesis 3.16. Got it? To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be husband and you shall, your desire shall be for your husband. Isn't that the same language that he uses about Cain? He says, Cain, why are you angry? For sin desires to control you. It's the same. You said he's saying. He says she wants to control you, but he will control her. The entire history of human abuse, of women abuse, comes because of the fall. And the marriage is a trap. Only in Christ you are set free. Christ, you are set free. So Christ has put parameters. How a marriage can be successful, it comes from communication. And in communication, there is a listening and a talking. Hearing and listening. Understand? And Jesus showed us the way. So young people, that's 11.55, Pastor Vijay, would you come and bid goodbye to 2000. It's a good point to stop for the first session, right? We shall thank God for 2017. It's over. Shall we stand? I know you're all little, but those who have babies in their hands, that's fine. You can sit. Shall we thank God? Father, we, we are overwhelmed by your goodness, Lord. Just, you're just an awesome God. Father, we don't, probably we don't, we don't see your hand every day in our lives in the, in the, in the year that is going by. But Lord, we know that you were there. You never left us. You never forsook us. 
in the good times and the testing times and tribulations and tri- in triumphs in our complacencies in our depressions you are there we may not have acknowledged you but lord this evening we just want to acknowledge you lord we just want to say thank you bless the lord oh my soul and all that is within us bless his holy name bless the lord oh my soul and forget not all his benefits who forgives all our iniquities who heals all our diseases who crowns us with loving kindness and with tender mercies who has not dealt with us according to our sins nor rewarded us according to our iniquities as the heaven is high above the earth so great is your love toward us and as far as the east is from the west so far have you removed our transgressions from us and as a father pitied his children you pitied us and you showed your mercy and it is because of your mercy we are here this evening oh lord oh father had it not been for you let israel say had it not been for god we would have been consumed by our enemies many were the plans of the wicked one to destroy us but lord you brought us through you brought us through and you're telling with telling each one of us as jesus told those people in luke's gospel chapter 13 when he said do you think those people who died are worse sinners than you let me tell you unless you repent you would likewise perish and it is only because of your restraining hand of mercy we are alive today oh lord and we just want to thank you father for your mercy we just want to thank you father for your mercy lord we want to thank you we want to thank you father for keeping us in our marriages we want to thank you father for keeping our children we want to thank you father for every situation oh lord that we have gone by oh lord we want to we want to thank you this evening oh lord we just want to thank you we just want to lift your name on high we just want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts oh lord thank you thank you thank you our help in ages past and our help in ages to come our shelter from the thorny blast tommy blast and our eternal home we want to thank you this evening lord we want to thank you father for the word that has come through to us oh lord every week 52 weeks oh lord you have been faithful oh lord jesus thank you for the word that you blessed us with you fed us with manna that our forefathers have not eaten oh lord many of our godly forefathers who have not seen and tasted the word of god we in this century in this time we have eaten in this church oh lord we want to thank you for the manna that you fed us with oh lord father we just want to thank you we want to thank you father for the servant that you blessed us with that he has that who has fed us with your word faithful we want to thank you for his faithfulness we want to thank you father for all the people in the church who have served faithfully we want to thank you we want to thank you father for all the people who have given faithfully 
We, have, we want to thank you, Father, for all the people who, whom we do not know, Father, who are in the front line of the battlefield, who laid down their lives so that we as a church could stand, O oh Lord. We want to thank you for them this evening, O oh Lord. We want to thank you for all those people who are a part of our church, O oh Lord, Father, who are in the front line of the battlefield, O oh Lord. We just want to thank you, God, for their faithfulness, O oh Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You're a good God. Your mercy endures forever. Your steadfast love. Your mercy is when you every morning. Your steadfast love never failed. Oh God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you, Father, for every member of our congregation. We want to thank you, Father, for the young people. We want to thank you, Father, for our children, the little ones. We want to thank you, Father, for the single people in our church. We want to thank you, Father, for the married couples in our church. We want to thank you, Lord. We just want to thank you for the mothers who have become mothers this year, oh Lord, who are mothers yet to be. We want to thank you, Lord. We want to thank you, Jesus. We want to worship you for them, Lord Jesus. We thank you. And Lord, even as now, Lord, we look back, O oh Lord Jesus. We want to acknowledge your goodness, O oh Lord, in our lives. All things, as you said, O oh Lord, have worked together, even if you do not see. We want to speak it by faith, O oh Lord. All things, the good, the bad, and the ugly that happened, O oh Lord Jesus, in 2017, will and should and will work together for the good of those who love you and who are decalled according to your purpose. And we want to acknowledge that in our lives this evening, O oh Lord. And we want to lift your name on high. We want to worship you. We want to give you glory and honor and dominion. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Happy New Year. Now we shall welcome the New Year. Sister Elsa, could you come and pray for us? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. It's just your mercy that we stand here, my God. It's only your mercy. Your mercy, your mercy, your mercy that we stand here in 2018, my God. Oh, Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, Lord, as we heard the word, yes, Lord, I pray. I pray first, Lord, for the women in our church. I pray, Lord, Father, teach us, teach us this year to take a step of faith, to believe that we could be that Mary, that we could pick up our cross and follow you daily, that we could be slow to speak, quick to listen, that we could be godly women. That we could be and lead by example the godly life you chose for us, my God. I believe for us this year, my God, as wives, as single women, as women who are pregnant, have babies this year, I believe this year, Father, from the oldest to the youngest, I believe that faith will arise in us, my God. That we will walk by faith and not by sight, my God. That we will lead by example, my God. That we will be those godly mentors that you call us to be. We may have failed you many times in 2017. 
But teach us this year, my God. Teach us. Teach us, teach us, teach us. As we heard today too, my God. If we're in ministry, we shouldn't be irritable. Teach us. Teach us, teach us. It's only your grace. It's only your mercy that we stand here today, Father. I pray, Lord, for our husbands, for our brothers, for our children, the male children in our family today. Oh, my God, my God. I first want to thank you for being God in our lives. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you for being God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You are the great I am. You are the Alpha. You are the Omega. You are the beginning. You are the end. And you knew we would be standing here today. There are no surprises in your kingdom. You knew we would be standing here today praising you, thanking you, my God. Asking you today, Lord, teach us, my God. Teach the men of the church today, Father. We start with our shepherd that you gave us. We start with Pastor Vijay too. We start with all the pastors in church. We pray today, Father, that you touch them. That you touch them. And I pray this year, my God, this year. Yes, Lord, this year will be revival in their lives, my God. Rejuvenation in their hearts today, my God. I pray they will hear clearly, my God. Clearly, my God. Oh, Father, I pray that they will see God, my God. That they will have an encounter with you, my God. That the joy of the Lord will be their strength, my God. That you will speak to them in visions and dreams, my God. That you, Lord, will use them mightily, mightily. You did in 2017. I prayed 2018 that you would, oh Lord, that you would bless their territory, enlarge their territory. Then your hand would be with them and the Lord will keep them from all evil, my God. Lord, you said, do not consider the former things. Behold, I have a new beginning. I will make roads in the wilderness. I will make rivers in the desert. We saw the hand of God in 2017. In 2018, we will see more of you, more and more of Jesus, my God. Help us to fall in love with you more and more each day. I Jesus, 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 we need you, my God. In this last hour, we need you more, more now than ever, my God. More now, more today, more today, my God. Let us start 2018 praying without ceasing, my God. Seeking your face day in and day out, my God. If there be a day when we start, my God, we forget to praise you, my God. Let there be a pricking. Let there be a quickening in the spirit. Let conviction take place that we will quickly, quickly raise our hands to praise you, my God. Help us, Lord, to be those servants that you've called us to be. No servant, no servant is greater than his master. The Lord is our light and our salvation. Whom shall we fear? The Lord is the strength of our life. Of whom shall we be afraid? When the wicked come against us, they stumble and fall. Though an army may encamp against us, our heart shall not fear. But one thing, one thing we desire is to dwell, to seek you, to dwell in your house and to be in your tabernacle. My God, to seek your face, to dwell in your tabernacle, to be here in your presence, my God. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, my God. There is liberty. There is liberty, my God. 
And today I want to say thank you for 2018. Thank you, God. Thank you that you saw fit that we could see this. And thank you for every single cell in our body that functions today, my God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, my God. That we could stand here on holy ground, my God. That you made a way for us to come here, my God. Safe and sound, my God. Oh, Father, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. I can't thank you enough that I could see 2018 this morning, my God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, my God. You're so good to us, my God. You're so good, my God. You're so good, you're so good. I pray, my God, and I speak it into our bodies today, my God. I speak healing, my God, into every mind and every heart and every sick body today. And I pray this year, we will pray for sick bodies and we, Lord, will be healthy Children of God, my God. Healthy, my God. We will speak it into our spirit, man. We will believe that God is our healer. He is our great physician. He is able to do all things. And I pray this year, my God, we will be healthier than last year. Healthy souls, healthy spirit, man. Oh, my God, touch us today, Father. Touch us, my God. Let your anointing flow through us today, my God. Destroy yokes, pull down strongholds. And, Father, I pray, let us be Free in the spirit today that we will hear clearly in the spiritual realm. We will hear the still small voice. We will hear the rebuke. We will hear the comforting word. We will hear the conviction. And we will grow stronger and stronger in you, my God. And we will walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. We believe you have bigger plans this year, my God. Bigger plans. Oh, how beautiful are the feet of the man who spreads the gospel of peace. Thank you. Thank you, my God. Thank you for Pastor James. Thank you for Pastor Vijay. Thank you for them. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the hours they spent studying the word. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as a church today, we just choose to bless them in your name, my God. May the blessings of the living God pursue them, overtake them, be with them all the days of their lives, my God. And I pray as a church... Even as his wife today, my God, I pray. We will never be stumbling blocks in their lives, my God. We will release them to ministry. We will release them for God's purpose, my God. Anoint them afresh. I pray for a double portion to rest upon them, my God. And I pray, my God, you bless the work of their hands today, my God. Bless the work of their hands today, my God. Anoint them afresh, my God. Anoint them afresh, my God. Anoint them afresh. Anoint them afresh right now, right now, my God. So they could start 2018, my God, with a fresh anointing. With a fresh anointing, my God. Let your anointing rest upon them, my God. Let the spirit of humility rest upon them, my God. Let the fear of God always be in every one of our hearts, my God. Let us work out our salvation with fear and trembling, my God. Let us work out our salvation. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the gift of repentance. Thank you for the gift of healing. Thank you for touching us today. Thank you, my God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. We thank you for being God in our lives. We thank you, God. Thank you, Abba Father. Thank you that you brought us through. Thank you for this day. For this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Please be seated. Are you tired?
You shouldn't be because I am the one who is breathing. <laughs> I should be tired, right? I am not tired at all. Now shall we go to the promise of 2018? For the church, not the individual promises, you will get it. But for the church, turn with me to Psalm 27 and verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. That's the promise for the church. He says, if this is your desire, you will know me in this year like you have never known. And I pray this would be that one desire. One desire. One thing I have desired of the Lord. That I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Are we there? David here is bearing his heart. That should be our, if an old covenant person can have this desire, how much more a new covenant saint. He says, this is my foremost desire. And why this is so important is this. You see, I don't know how you are sitting here today. Maybe you got a messed up marriage. And you go back home, you have a stiff-necked husband or a wife. Or maybe your husband and wife is okay, but you have rebellious children. Or maybe your home is okay, but you have a terrible workplace. I don't know what your issue is. But this takes care of it all. If your relationship with God is primary, and if that is the one that sustains you, even if your marriage is on the rocks and your children are on drugs and you don't have a job, God says, this is your focus. Everything will start falling into place in your life. Get your focus. This should be our focus. It should be of a focus. Because each one seeks according to their desire. This is a man's desire. He says, one thing I have desired of the Lord. That's what I will seek. So this 2018, what is our desire? Because everyone moves according to their desire. What is our desire? And Jesus put it across this way. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And he says, this is where my heart is. And he says, not only seeking, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. Most Christians are visitors. They don't dwell. Dwell means to stay, to reside. Remember the old message? Jesus was pointed out to the whole world, declared to the world by John the Baptist, the forerunner. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. 
two of his John's disciples started following Jesus. Jesus' first question recorded in the Bible, in the Gospel according to John. What do you seek? He turned, stopped, and he says, what do you seek? What did they say? Where do you stay? The first disciple that followed Jesus, his answer was, I want to dwell with you. Jesus said, come, come and see. And scripture says, they dwelt with him that night. Next day they go out and tell their friends, come and see. We have met the Messiah. This year, see God. Let it be our heart's desire. Let us choose to stay with him. Not visit him on, you know, Sundays. But some people know in the, king, in the kingdom of God, they are CEOs. You know what CEO is? Christmas and Easter only. In John chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus said, Abide in me. Just abide in me. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide. He says, it's impossible for you to do any work of God. You can do your own works, good works. But work of God is impossible unless you abide in Him. The first call of God is not to work. The first call of God is to abide. He says, abide in me. In verse 7 he will say, Abide in me and my words, abide in my word. Let my word dwell in you. Let it dwell. The word of God and we shouldn't be visitors. You know there's a visitor, somebody visits our house, doesn't matter how much we are close to him, how much we love him, we know one day he or she will go. They have not come to stay. But God says, let my word stay in you, dwell in you, take permanent residence in you. Let it become a part of you. Abide in me, let my word abide in you. And in Psalm 26 and verse 8, scripture says, Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house, the place where your glory dwells. Let the house of God be your passion. The reason the house of God is not our passion is because the Lord of our house is not our passion. It's very strange that people will say, no, I love Jesus, but I don't like going to church. Just practically think about this. If one of you said, Pastor, please would you visit me, but don't bring your wife with you. Do you think I would visit your house? That's exactly what people say. Jesus, we love you. I don't like your wife. Jesus says, the church is my wife, my bride. God is zealous for his people. And he wants to dwell with them. When David talks about building a house for God, you know what God said? It's incredible what he said. He said, go and tell my servant David, he said. Thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me today? 
Have I, for I have not dwelt in a house since the time I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but I have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. What build a house for? Do you remember when you were in the wilderness? What did I ask you to do? I asked you to build a tent for me. Why? Because you were living in tents. When you moved, I moved with you. I didn't ask you to build a house. I asked you to build a tent for me. From that day till today, I moved with you. Don't underestimate abiding in Christ, abiding in His Word, and abiding in His house. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21 and 22, Scripture says, In whom, in Christ, the whole building being fitted together, grows into holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together. For what? A dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That's what David is saying. I want to delve in your house. God says, that's an Old Testament concept. He says, I want to dwell in you. I'm building a house for myself. This is God's desire to dwell with us. The question is, is that our desire? The fulfillment of that in eternity is ultimately seen in Revelation 21 and verse 3. We will see the physical, tangible revelation of what we experience in the spirit today. The sit- what does scripture say about God? Then I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. This is our ultimate destiny. And we will experience it tangibly in the spirit and in the body. But right now God says, is that our desire? If that's not our desire today, how are we going to be happy then? Get that focus in 2018. Everything else will fall into place. Lord, I desire you more than anything else. I want to dwell with you. Don't be a visitor with God, with His Word, or with His house. Choose to dwell. 2018, I love my young people because every time somebody is posted out of Hyderabad, we we don't like losing people. But we know also they need to go. But when they go, the first thing they search, whether they're going to next town, Bangalore, or they're going to US, the first thing they always search for is a church. Before they look for a house to stay, they look for a church. Because they've been taught well. And all the ones who have gone from there, who found a church and been part of the church, the pastors have said, which church did you come from? You've been taught well. That you are a blessing in this church. I have to learn to dwell in his house. Be part of a house and be a useful part in the house. Scripture says in his house there are many vessels. Some for honor, some for dishonor. Scripture says if a man, a woman, a child cleanses himself or herself, it will be a vessel of honor. Be a vessel of honor in his house. Be a vessel of honor. Get rid of all these attitudes. 
God will not use you. God cannot use you. Because he himself has said what kind of vessels. He will use you. He didn't say he won't use you. He says he will use you as a vessel of dishonor. Abraham had a wife. Her name was Sarah. You know what God told about Sarah? Remember Abraham and remember about Sarah, the rock from which you were taken out. And then when he comes to Peter, he mentions Sarah as the epitome of womanhood. But when he came to Lot, he says, remember Lot's wife. One was a vessel of honor, the other was a vessel of dishonor. God says, be like one, be never like that one. Both are vessels in God's house. Be a vessel of honor. God have the pride in heaven to point out and says, that's my boy Job. That's my boy. That's my girl. Be a vessel of honor. Be a vessel of honor in his house. Say, Lord, I seek you. I desire you. I want to dwell in your house. I read about people like Cory Ten Boom and all you heard about Cory Ten Boom? Lady, the Dutch lady. Till she died, she died in her late 80s. You know, she lived off a suitcase. Because she had no, no time to stay. She was preaching till she died. Lived off a suitcase, hotel room to hotel room, taking the word of God. She was somebody who had come out of the German concentration camp and walked with God through it all. Vessel of honor till the last hour of her life. Vessel of honor like Jacob till the last. Scripture says, Jacob leaned on his staff and blessed and died. Be a vessel of honor. Dwell in his house. Don't be a visitor. You see, we are all afraid of darkness. We're all afraid of darkness. That's why I said every mobile comes with a torch. You know how that psalm begins? The Lord is my light. When we visit, we seek light from God. When we depart, depart back into darkness. When we dwell, He is my light. He's my light. He's not saying he will show me light. He's saying, he is my light. When we dwell with him, he becomes our light now, which will be the ultimate reality in scripture, in eternity. In eternity, this is what Revelation says. Revelation 21, 23. I saw no temple in it, but the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its. I saw no temple. Today we are dwelling in his house. That day, there is no temple. We are dwelling in him. He is the temple. Have you seen? He is the house. He is the light. When we are in trouble, we seek help. We seek a savior. 
But when we choose to dwell with him, Psalm 27 verse 1 says, 27 verse 1, go back to 1. The Lord is my light, the Lord is mine. We always think about salvation as something, as an experience. We don't realize God is our salvation. That's the difference between visiting and dwelling. God is my salvation. God is my light. He is my life. Salvation. He is my light. My fear is gone. When we are weak, hours of weakness, we cry out to God. Like David cried out to God in Ziglag. Lord, I am weak. Strengthen me. Scripture says he strengthened himself in the Lord. But when we dwell with him, Scripture says, God is my strength. When God is talking about seeking him and dwelling with him, he's saying experientially you will know me at a different level. So far, maybe till 2017, you are seeking my light. But 2018, he says, if you seek me and desire me foremost, I will be your light. I will be your salvation. I will be your strength. Understand what the promise God is giving. We appropriate it by faith. That's the difference between visiting and abiding. And this is his desire. There's no temple. There, he is our temple. Everything in life should flow out of this relationship with God. In verse 2 and 3, you will see. And the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh. My enemies and foes, they stumble and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may arise against me, in this I will be. Where does all this come from? It's because he's dwelling there. Because God has become his light. God has become his salvation. God has become his strength. So, what lie? I'm telling you, don't ever look at the stock market and think good times are ahead. Look at the Bible and know evil times are ahead. Evil times are ahead. The enemy will not cease. He's working day and night because scripture says he knows his end is near. And scripture says the end times will be terrible. Just, if you just look, there's a madman in Korea, North Korea. Madmen do mad things. Gaddafi couldn't do anything because he didn't have a nuclear bomb. Saddam Hussein did not have a nuclear bomb. Otherwise they would not have been killed. And this guy knows, I need that. Otherwise they will kill me, take me out. And in last one year he has progressed so much, which he never did in all these years. Let me tell you, two scenarios they are predicting. If he chooses as a last straw to fire a nuclear missile at U.S., it would take U.S. back to this ice age. They said for 18 months, they will go into an ice age. Nine out of ten will die. That's all he has to do. President Trump has been put there for a reason and a season by God. They are doing everything possible to bring him down. This year, if he's impeached, 
2018 November is the American Congress election. If the Democrats win and they start impeaching him, there will be civil war in U.S. They go down, we all go down. Because we are all tied to their economy. So pray. That's why as the days gets closer, we need to know him more and more. More and more. These are real life scenarios. But we don't fear because he is my strength. He is my salvation. He is my life. That's where our strength comes from. That's what God is talking about. Seek me. Why is he in the last days asking his people, seek me, seek me, seek me, seek me, seek me. Because he says, you know what? No one else can protect you. No one else can keep you. No one else can. In verse 5, scripture says, well, yeah, verse 4 we saw, that's our desire. One thing I have decided, out of that comes everything. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me and he shall set me high upon a rock. He says, you know what? I will do two things. One, in the time of trouble, I will hide you and I will lift you up. You will be hidden but seen. Only God can do that. You will be hidden but you will be seen. Only God can do that. And he says, in verse 6, Now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around. With all this happening, I will be worshipping, yes, singing praises to the Lord. Ask ourselves this year, 2018. Ask God. These things we can't do on our own. He has to cause us to do it. You have to ask Him, Lord, change my heart, change my desire. Change my desire. Let not legalism blind me. We should all be able to say, yes, I was blind, but now I see. But I want to see more. Should be able to say, yes, one thing is needful. One thing is needful. I need to get away all those things that blinds me. One thing I lack, I'm bound to things. That stops me from going ahead with God. If I live in the temporal, I will miss out on the eternal. Remember, the one things, one thing I do, pressing on. And verse, final one, that should define our life as a church, as individuals, Lord, I want to dwell with you. I'm tired of being a visitor. I'm tired. I'm tired of my morning devotions. I'm not satisfied with that. I'm tired. I want to dwell with you. I want to dwell with you. I want you to be my light. I want you to be my salvation. I want you to be my strength. Then it doesn't matter what is against me. I know you will hide me. And you will lift me up. Let that be the cry of our heart this year. Like I said, everything is by faith. If we believe and we ask him, he will change our heart. Change our heart. Don't let youth keep you away. 
That's what Paul told Timothy. You are young. Don't get fooled. Don't get age keep you away. Don't age, of course, it takes a little more harder because mind is set. But God can change. God used two old men, 80 and 83, to change the world. But they had to be. The thinking had to change. So don't let anything. Your youth, your age, nothing stop you. Because there is a God who is unstoppable. So God, that would be the focus. Out of it should flow everything else. And you will see 2018 will be different. Absolutely. That's what I believe 2018 is, is the greatest year for the church. See, people don't look at it according to scripture. People look at according to the physical eyes and you see the church is having a terrible time. Church never had a terrible time. You see, everybody in the world is lost. So the church has only gained people. It has never lost people. Stem. Church can never lose. Because it is the very body of Christ. Indwelt by His Spirit. Every day the church is only increasing. It's not decreasing. Every day the world is only decreasing. Every day. So look at it. Through eyes of God. Turn it around. Don't say anymore, Lord, thank you for saving me. Say, Lord, you are my salvation. Okay. You are my salvation. Okay. Don't be foolish. Talk foolishly like the father of believers. When God comes and says to him, I am your exceedingly great reward and your sheep. He says, what's the point? I have no children. You don't remember what God told Abraham. God was not telling Abraham, I'm going to reward you. He says, I am your reward. He says, that sounds okay, but I would like a child. Another man has to turn around and say, Lord, that's all I seek. You are my salvation. You are my light. You are my strength. So this night as we close, Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you, we just thank you, we just thank you, Lord. For this gift of a new year. Twelve months lie ahead of us. We do not know what lies ahead. But your word says, you have seen the end from the beginning. Our life is in your hands. As we heard, Lord, for this year, we want to experience you. The psalm is sang. We want you to be our salvation, our light, and our strength. We want to dwell with you. We want to abide in you. We want your word to abide in us.
We want to bear fruit for the Father's glory. You want to dwell in your house. I pray for the church. I pray, Lord, everyone in the church, young and old, there'll be a year of focus. Bringing Christ back to the center of our lives. And out of it should flow everything else, O Lord. I pray especially for the broken ones, the single mothers, the widows, the orphans. I pray that you would open their eyes, that they would know that you are a husband to the widows and a father to the fatherless. Let there be an opening of eyes, O God, That they will never be able to say again, I am alone. For not only is God for them, God is with them. Help us Lord to experience you that way. No one ever again has to go through a day alone. Because Emmanuel has come. God with us. Your word says, little children, free idols. I pray, every idol in our minds, in our hearts, will be broken. Idols we created with our own imaginations and our feelings will crumble until only Christ is left. All in all. I pray this year we will redeem the time Knowing not only the times are evil, they are wicked. That we will redeem our time. That we will walk circumspectly as your word enjoins. We'll find our rest in you. The servant prayed, we believe for healing. There are many infirm in the body. Some couldn't come. Those who are here infirm in the body, those who couldn't come like Auntie Catherine, we believe as a body for healing. Your healing is our portion. Your word says, I am the God who heals all your diseases. You said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. You said in your word, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing under his wings. I pray this would be a year of righteousness for us. That your righteousness in us would grow and our bodies would experience your healing. Speak for healing in the body, healing in the mind. Captives would be set free. That people would walk in the liberty bought by the blood of his own son. Take authority in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Bind every power of darkness. Command powers of darkness to loosen God's people. For your word says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. By the word of their testimony. 
Help us to walk in that liberty. For your word says where the spirit is Lord, there is liberty. Pray today, starting today, the lordship of your spirit would be established in our lives. We believe and confess your promise. This would be a year you would turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. The hearts of the children back to the fathers. I pray this would be the year of reconciliation in homes. That husbands and wives would dwell in peace and unity. Prodigals would come back home. Prodigals would come back to their senses. We believe. We believe, Lord. We believe. I believe, Lord, this would be a year you would raise up more servants from this church. More. As Moses said, I wish the Spirit of the Lord was upon you all. Pray, Father, the harvest is white. Laborers are few. I pray, Lord, dedicated men and women would arise, sold out for God. And I pray, Father, for new believers to come. Send us people who are hungry for the word. People who would dwell in the house of God. In your word it is written, you added to their numbers. That's our cry. You add to our numbers. People who are seeking, who are hungry for you. And I have pray, Lord, us who are called to the ministry of the teaching of the word would spend even more time in your presence first. And then in your word. That you would open our eyes to things that are hidden in your word. That we can bring out food for your people in due season. I pray, Lord, everyone would be found faithful in their post. I pray for the young ones, Lord, students. I pray they would be students like Daniel. In their academies, They would purpose in their heart not to defile themselves. So that God would give them understanding. God would give them wisdom. God would prove that his children are ten times better than those who are in the world. That these young ones would purpose in their hearts not to defile, Lord. Pray for those who are waiting for the breakthrough. You are Baal Perizam, the God of breakthrough. And I believe, Lord, I believe 2018 is a year of breakthrough. I believe Balperism is going to break through in the church and in many lives, oh Lord. Help us to believe and to receive that overflow, Lord. Touch husbands here. That they would be kind. And dwell with understanding with their wives. Pray would be with the wives here today. That you would touch them. That they would dwell and honor their husbands. Because your word says so, Lord. They would honor 
husbands would love. I pray for the children that they honor their parents. That each home would be transformed in 2018. Which would be a place where God calls His dwelling home place. We believe, Lord. We believe. And I pray every sister, every mother would be found faithful in the prayer closet. Would find that space in that secret place. Would contend with the powers of darkness for the souls of children. Make them praying mothers, O Lord. Not just for their children, but all children. All children are precious in your sight. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you for this campus. Thank you for this place where we have been for so many years. Thank you, Father. But I pray. I believe the time has come for a place of our own. I just surrender that desire into thy hands. And I pray, Father, let it be according to your will, your time, and your purpose for us. All we ask you is teach us to delight in you. For your word says, delight in the Lord. And he shall give you the desires of your heart. Help us, Lord. Help us. Help us to delight in you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you for everyone in your house. Everyone. Even the unbelievers who do not know you. Thank you for them too. Who have served you without knowing you. Thank you for Sajid. Thank you for Deepak. Thank you for Krishna. I thank you for all our other staff who do not know you. But are still serving you. I pray Lord you would bless them. With your salvation. There is no greater gift. They can receive Lord. I pray this year. It will be a year of salvation for those who do not know you, Lord, in our ministries. Thank you, Father. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you. We thank you for the privilege and the honor of being your sons and daughters and being your servants. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Now by faith, has blood washed children, sanctified by your word and by your spirit, we lift up holy hands. And we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name, Lord. Thank you, Father. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Forever and ever. All God's people said, Amen. 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 The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen.